Lesson 5 for July 25-31, to 31, Exiles as Missionaries. Sabbath afternoon, July 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Your Word is so precious to us, and as we open it this week, we pray that Your Holy Spirit will guide us. As we look at Daniel and others uh, who were exiles, but still were able to fly the flag to, to show your gospel to those around them and to show them of your love. We pray that we may be able to do that in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Let's read that again, Daniel 7, verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. As a people of prophecy, Seventh-day Adventists believe in the soon coming of Jesus Christ. His coming will end this world as we know it and ultimately will usher in God's everlasting kingdom, depicted in the book of Daniel this way. The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That's Daniel 7, verse 27. This kingdom is the culmination of our faith. It is what the book of Hebrews called in chapter 11, verse 16, the better country, the one that all God's people throughout the ages have trusted will come, the one, as it said in verse 10, whose builder and maker is God. But the book of Daniel is also a kind of handbook for missionary activity. From it we can draw lessons on how the Lord was able to use some of his people to witness to those who were steeped in spiritual and theological ignorance. Through their faithfulness and diligence and unwavering faith, these believers revealed the reality of the living God to those who knew only false ones and gave these pagans a chance at a place in this everlasting kingdom as well. Sunday, July 26, The Exile Question. Read Isaiah chapter 39 verses 5 to 7 and Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. How are these verses related? First of all, Isaiah chapter 39 verses 5 through to 7. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Daniel chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, was force-marched from a defeated Jerusalem into a Babylonian capital. The book of Daniel gives glimpses of his life in the courts of Babylon and Persia. After three years of education in Babylon, Daniel was employed as a civil servant and royal advisor. Through the power of God, he rose above normal captive status to become a highly placed missionary to two superpowers. The book of Daniel is more than a treasure of prophetic literature. The reader encounters some of the challenges facing Hebrews living in an alien culture that provided no apparent support for their loyalty to the God of Israel and at times was openly hostile. It also paints a beautiful picture of men who learned to live out their commitment to truth in the absence of the temple, the priesthood and the sacrifices. Question Read Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through to 13, chapter 5, verse 12, chapter 6, verse 4, and chapter 9, from verse 3 right through to verse 19. What do these texts tell us about Daniel's character that made him the great missionary he was? First of all, Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 13. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not devile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and, as you see fit, so deal with your servants. And chapter 5, verse 12. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. And chapter 6, verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And chapter 9, verses 3 through to 19. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession, and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings 
and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us, and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 153, Every institution that bears the name of Seventh-day Adventists is to be to the world as was Joseph in Egypt and as were Daniel and his fellows in Babylon. In the providence of God these men were taken captive, that they might carry to heathen nations the knowledge of the true God. They were to be representatives of God in our world, they were to make no compromise with the idolatrous nations with which they were brought in contact, but were to stand loyal to their faith, bearing as a special honour the name of worshippers of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And so to finish today, think how easy it would have been for Daniel to have compromised, especially given his circumstances. What does his example teach us about how lame our excuses for compromise often really are?
Monday, July 27, Witnesses In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel had an opportunity, born out of necessity, to witness to the power of the true God, as opposed to the false ones of Babylon. After singing a hymn of praise with his Jewish compatriots and thanking God for answering their prayers, as we read in Daniel 2, 20-23, he interpreted the king's dream and testified to God's greatness and dominion over all earthly kingdoms. Question. What does the king say that shows he learned something about the true God? Daniel chapter 2 and verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. In Daniel 2, Daniel didn't have a choice, either give the king what he wanted, or face death. In contrast, in chapter 3, his three friends could have spared themselves the fiery furnace if they simply had obeyed the king's command. Instead, By their faithful witness, they were able to testify to the power of the true God. From the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald, May 3, 1892, How did Nebuchadnezzar know that the form of the fourth was like the Son of God? He had heard of the Son of God from the Hebrew captives that were in his kingdom. They had brought the knowledge of the living God who ruled all things. Question. In Daniel 4, What confession did King Nebuchadnezzar make, again, regarding the true God, all thanks to the witness of Daniel? Daniel chapter 4 and verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. In Daniel 5, we have Daniel's last appearance at the Babylonian court, where he is called upon to explain the extraordinary writing upon the wall of Belshazzar's palace, foretelling the overthrow of the Babylonian Empire at the hands of the Medes and Persians. Though, no doubt, Belshazzar had been impressed by what Daniel did, it was too late. The king's fate was all but sealed. The sad thing is that, according to the Bible... In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar had had opportunity to learn truth and to be humbled by it. As we know, he didn't take advantage of these opportunities. Let's read that in Daniel chapter 5, verses 17 to 23. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your reward to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honour. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses." 
But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not hear or see or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. So to finish the day, how important that we look at our own lives and ask ourselves, what kind of witness does my life represent to the world? What does your answer tell you? Tuesday, July 28, Daniel in Persia. Our verse for today is Daniel chapter 6 and verse 20. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest, continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Question. The king called Daniel the servant of the living God. What is implied in those words? In Daniel chapter 6, with the change of empire and king, Daniel still kept his position and was even promoted, becoming one of three presidents to whom 120 satraps were to report. King Darius even considered appointing him vizier over his whole kingdom, arousing the antipathy of other presidents and satraps. They induced the king to make an empire-wide decree that really was aimed at Daniel alone. He was thrown into a den of lions, but God dramatically intervened in a situation that even the sympathetic king could not reverse. Daniel's deliverance so pleased the king that he issued an empire-wide royal decree exalting the God of Daniel. As we read in Daniel chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so to finish the day, we're going to read Daniel chapter 6. But before that, what in the chapter indicates that Daniel had already been a great witness to the king? Also, what in the king's decree indicates that he knew more about Daniel's God than he could have learned merely from the dramatic rescue? What does this tell us about Daniel's witness to him? Daniel chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. 
Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no fault or charge, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever, all the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps, the counsellors and advisers, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king, and spoke concerning the king's decrees. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he had heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he laboured till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed." So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. 
Sir Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wednesday, July 29, Daniel and God's Eternal Kingdom Daniel was not merely an interpreter of other men's dreams, significant as that was in this context. In Daniel chapter 7 right through to chapter 12, he had his own visions which revealed the future of great world superpowers. Daniel's visions especially emphasized that despite earthly rulers and their plans and machinations, God retains final control of nations. In the end, he and his final kingdom will triumph, and that triumph will be complete. Let's look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Question. Read Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. What is being described in these texts, and how does it relate to the idea of Christians taking the gospel to the world? Daniel 7, beginning at verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Whatever else these verses are talking about, the central issue is the establishment of of God's eternal kingdom, which doesn't come until after the return of Jesus. And what factor did Jesus himself say was important in regard to his return? Well, in Matthew 24, verses 14 to 16, we read, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
Jesus' prophecies of the end of the world in Matthew 24 are linked to Daniel's prophecies. The abomination of desolation predicted by Daniel in chapter 11 and chapter 12 was further explained and applied by Jesus to his own day and beyond. The point is that Jesus closely linked the book of Daniel to the end times, which of course isn't surprising because Daniel in many places does indeed point to the end times. In chapter 8 and chapter 11 and chapter 12. And, according to Jesus, the end doesn't come until this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. So to finish the day, the gospel is to be preached unto all the world and only then will Jesus return. And we are the ones called to preach it. Some then argue that Jesus can't return until we do our work. How are we to understand our role in the timing of Jesus' return? Bring your answer to class on the Sabbath. Thursday, July 30, More Exiles as Missionaries Daniel was an Israelite in involuntary banishment from Israel, as were Joseph and Moses in Egypt, Nehemiah in Babylon, and Esther in Persia. Their lives reveal that it is possible to live faithfully to God in spiritually and culturally unsupportive environments. With God's direction, it was even possible to obtain prominent administrative positions in these alien settings. Each lived a creative and rich life, skillfully negotiating complex religious, social, political and economic dynamics far different from those of their home culture. They not only were loyal members of exiled Hebrew communities, they were also in their own ways effective missionaries for the God of Israel. Witness while in exile included both passive presence and active proclamation. And then there's a table which lists Esther on one side and Daniel as another. And there are five points for each one. Point one for Esther is, did not identify as a Hebrew until called to reveal it. For Daniel, point one is identified as a Hebrew. For Esther, point two is, kept her religion to herself until called to reveal it. Point two for Daniel is, made known his religious convictions. Point three for Esther is, God protected her and her family. For Daniel, God protected him and his friends. Point four for Esther, witnessed in high places to save her life along with her people's and for Daniel, witnessed in high places to save his life, along with other people's, and point five. For Esther, helped establish religious freedom and the right to self-defense of a minority religious group. And for Daniel, indirectly influenced King Cyrus to allow exiled Hebrews to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. Question. Read through Genesis chapter 41. In what ways was Joseph able to witness to the Egyptians? How does his story parallel that of Daniel and his companions in Babylon? 
Genesis chapter 41 and verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second dream. Suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good, then, behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven and fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good, then, behold, seven heads, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one, and the seven thin and ugly cows which come up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. 
But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities." Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house, and the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe 
in all lands. So to finish today, in what situations in which you find yourself can you witness for your faith? Are you giving a passive or active witness, or both? What are things you can either say or do that would make a more powerful impression on others about the goodness and love of our God? Friday, July 31. From the book The Adventist Home, page 484 and at 485, we read, Multitudes will be called to a wider ministry. The whole world is opening to the gospel. From every quarter of this world of ours comes the cry of sin-stricken hearts for a knowledge of the God of love. It rests with us who have received the knowledge, with our children to whom we impart it, to answer their cry to every household and every school, to every parent, teacher and child upon whom has shone the light of the gospel, comes at this crisis the question put to Esther the Queen at that momentous crisis in Israel's history. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. Number one, discuss the prophecies in the book of Daniel, especially Daniel 2, 7 and 8. In what ways are these such a powerful testimony, not only to the prophetic reliability of the Bible, but to God's foreknowledge? For instance, notice how between Daniel 2, 7 and 8, three of the four main kingdoms are named for us. How should this help us to learn to trust in the word of God and his promises to us? Question 2. In these accounts in the book of Daniel and some of the other stories, such as that of Joseph, there were some miracles that, of course, greatly added to the credibility of their witness to the pagans around them. At the same time, too, what aspects of their character lend even more credibility to their witness? That is, in what way can character and faithfulness, even more than signs and wonders, be a more powerful witness to others about the reality of God and what he can do in our lives? And number three, as we saw in Wednesday's study, Matthew 24.14 says that the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Does this mean that Jesus will not come back until we do the work that he has called us to do? Discuss this. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled A Gift from the River and it's one of those two-part stories. This is part one, and it comes from Donashaw Tripura from Bangladesh. Donashaw was glad to be home, watching his father's water buffalo. He had been away at school and had just completed his high school graduation exams. The day grew hotter, and Donashaw decided to go for a swim in the nearby river while the buffalo grazed nearby. He waded into the cool water, looking for a place that was deep enough to swim. It was the dry season, and the river was much shallower than usual. Donisha stood in the waist-deep water and looked upstream. 
he saw something floating in the water. It wasn't unusual to find debris in the river, so he wasn't sure why this object caught his eye. He waited as it bobbed closer to him, then he reached down and picked it out of the water. It was a Bible. He had never seen a Bible before, but instinctively he knew that this was a holy book. He waded ashore and carefully laid the wet book in the sun to dry. As a few pages dry, he then turned to other wet pages and allowed the sun's hot rays to dry them. Donashaw came from a religious family. Every day they worshipped their gods, laying gifts of rice and incense on the altar in their home. Donashaw's parents had taught him to respect all things holy, and that included the book he found in the river. The book wasn't yet dry when evening came, so Donashaw took it home. The next morning he carried it back to the field and laid it open in the sun. After three days the Bible was dry enough for him to read it, Curiously, he turned to the first pages and began reading, In the beginning, God created. Donashu was fascinated by the account of creation and the first man and woman. He remembered reading about the first humans in the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu holy book. An idea struck him, and he began comparing that book with the Bible. One day he read the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and contrasted that to his own prayers. I have done nothing but ask and ask, wanting something for myself or my family. Now I understand that Christians pray for others. As Donashur continued treating, he discovered a God who searches out and invites people to accept his gift of salvation. This God is patient and he loves to forgive. Donashur thought how his entire life had been an effort to earn the favour of the gods by giving them expensive gifts and by making long and tiring pilgrimages to appease them. And we'll continue this story next week. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.